You are listening to the To and Out CFL Podcast, a proud member of the Canadian Football Podcast Network. I, I might just want to say barbecue. I remember walking into yeah. uh, Booker's Barbecue for the live show last year. And, oh, my uh, God. It was Pavlov's dog. I almost fell to my knees. <laughs> like it brought a tear to your eye. <laughs> it did. Grab some poutine and a double-double. It's time for the To and Out CFL Podcast. Now they have to kick it out, and they do. Every week, Travis Cura. Does anybody still care about this podcast? And Brazilian Tide. Hunters are people, too. Talk fantasy football, bring you the latest in CFL news, and sprinkle in a little bit of nonsense. Are you kidding? This is unbelievable! Ready, set, hook! And we are part of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. I'm Travis Cura with Brazilian Thai. Joining us on the show today is TSN 1150's Marshall Ferguson, also writes for CFL.ca to talk about the 2020 draft that just went down on Thursday. But over the last little while, TSN has been airing some older CFL games on Friday nights, and this past Friday was Anthony Calvillo night. Did you watch, Ty? What am I, a masochist? <laughs> I avoided that. I went as far away as I could, too. Even when I loaded up the, the, the Twitter machine, all I was seeing was opposing fans of the Riders just mocking nonstop. So I had to walk away entirely to avoid that. <laughs> by, by opposing fans, we mean Vince, right? Because that got old oh, real quick. Nonstop. <laughs> No, uh, my my buddy got a new puppy, uh, so I went over and sat in their backyard and visited the dog on Friday. Although that time in my life I have some fond memories of. It was the first two Grey Cups I went to. Um, I can't believe you kept going after that. I can't believe I kept going after the first one. <laughs> yeah, like, like that's ridiculous. I remember that night, I there's there's a photo of me taking in, uh, taking in the Airdrie or one of them. Airdrie McDonald's with uh, Ronald McDonald with his arm around me. I had to drive all the way back to Cold Lake that night and going to work the next day. (laughs) That was rough. And that is coming on 11 years ago. And I remember every moment of that. Terrible. I went into work the next morning and nobody talked to me. That's good. I was the only Ryder fan in the office. Well, other than our drafting manager. And that's who I watched the game with. But of course... Great yeah. Cup Monday is a holiday for him, right? Yeah. Um, which, I, looking back, it is for me now, too, because I'm smart enough to realize <laughs> that. But nobody made any jokes. Nobody asked me questions. They just saw the look on my face, and they're like, yeah, we're not dealing with him today. And I just got sent to the garage and waited to go to work. That was the most bizarre walk out of a stadium I've oh, ever man. had, if I'm being honest. So I couldn't I'm, imagine. I'm, I'm leaving that one in the past. <laughs> yeah, that's that's fair. Um, so I had a, two boxes full of stuff for a grad sale my mom wants to do. She does a grad sale like every May long. Obviously not going to be able to do one that early this year. Don't even know if we're going to be able to do it this year. Okay. But it gets it out of my house, and they have more room <laughs> than I do. So then, you know, it's less crap that I have. Um, sitting on the front step yesterday... And I don't know what happened. I don't know what brought it up. But mom, out of nowhere, uh, and she asked me this because she wants to know your answer, that if you could only have one smell that you could smell for the rest of your life, what would it be? And we each answered. But she was really interested in yours. Holy man. Part of me wants to go deep and say fresh Rocky Mountain air. But 
Even like the campfire. Oh, I just love it. It takes me to a happy place. And I said vanilla instantly. I might say bacon. Okay, yeah, that's good. I, I went with that. Mom came up with probably the best one I best one I had heard, and it instantly made me regret my decision. What she is said it? fried onions. Fried, fried onions. onions. That's a good smell. Because like you go to a football game, you can smell fried onions. Oh, yeah. When we went to Ezzy's, when we went to Ezzy's, Smokies and fried onions in the basement. Right when you make per, when you when you make pierogies, fried onions. That's true. I, I might just want to say barbecue. I remember walking into yeah. uh, Booker's Barbecue for the live show last year. And, oh, my uh, God. It was Pavlov's dog. I almost fell to my knees. <laughs> like it brought a tear to your eye. <laughs> it did. Uh, what's another good uh, smell? Well, the, I tell you what my dad said, but... Fresh apple pie. Like my step, like, I tell you what my stepdad said, but it's not safe for the podcast okay. if this is a family show. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we're welcoming any answers. What's your favorite smell? Brazilian Ties Mom Wants to Know at 2 and Out CFL on Twitter. In the Huddle with Karan Ty on the 2 and Out Podcast. All right, there's really only one news story this week. Mm-hmm. I don't really want to focus on it. Uh, we got Marshall Neither Ferguson coming up here, uh, so we're not really going to focus on it, but I do want to acknowledge it. Uh, the CFL applies for federal assistance up to $150 million. Um, it's very political. Uh, taxpayers mm-hmm. are arguing over this on social media nonstop. I don't want to add fuel to the fire i kind of want to wait to see what happens here and we got months to fight about it i'd rather uh, talk about the 73 canadians that got an opportunity to play mm-hmm. pro football what say you uh, i'll say you know they they have an opportunity to, f- to file for this yeah they, like they everybody else and and 150 million dollars that seems like a crap load of money but that is the top level that's the top end yeah, yeah. if there's no season um that being said, I, I get why people are upset. It's a professional sports league. This isn't like the other four big sports leagues in North America. It's a little bit different when you look at the financials. Uh, you know, the Lakers applied for the, the paycheck protection stuff in the States and got $4.8 million, And the only reason they gave it back was because people got pissed off. Ah. Uh, so I, I get what the CFL is trying to do. They're trying to stay afloat trying to make it so that they're not going to be in such dire straits without a season. I understand that. Optically, it does not look great. Uh, do do I want them to get this? It, yes, because it keeps them afloat. No, because it's federal money. But it is a pro, it is a program that they can apply for, and you know the government will look at it, and they'll make their decision. And and in the grand scheme of things, it's four dollars. Well, it's it's a little more than it'll be more than four dollars per person because you know people under eighteen usually don't pay taxes, or people without jobs. But you know <laughs> it's not going to be that much, and maybe it only ends up being thirty, forty, fifty million, and not the whole amount if they can get some games in. Yeah, other uh, pro sports. Organizations have also applied. Um, I mm-hmm. kind of wonder if the $150 million would help them uh, have a season or a shortened season with no fans in the stands and be able to afford that and pay the players and all that. Yeah. We'll see what happens over the next six months. It's a situation that is fluid. <laughs> it's, yeah. and, and, and arguing about it on Twitter does absolutely nothing for anybody. Yeah. 
Yeah. The, right? It just makes me mute you is all it does. Yeah. They're crapping on people for what they think should get funding and not uh, yeah. whatever. That's what it is. And that's what uh, might yep. happen in the future. Uh, before we bring on our guest, Marshall Ferguson, this episode of Two and Out is brought to you by Taproot Edmonton, your source for curiosity-driven coverage of our city cultivated by the community. Taproot has launched a service to answer your questions about Edmonton's response to the COVID-19 pandemic and our experience of it. The idea is to help you understand this complex and quickly evolving topic with succinct, well-sourced answers to any questions you might have. Find the COVID-19 microsite at taprootedmonton.ca. It is taprootedmonton.ca. Joining us on the show from uh, CFL.ca and TSN 1150, it is Marshall Ferguson. We're going to talk CFL draft here. First of all, I got to ask, uh, uh, how was doing things virtually, or was it any different at all on Thursday? Yeah, it was a little strange. It was it was interesting too because it was the first time that I've done every pick of every draft uh, or, or of the entire draft, I should say. So. Like I kind of, I was interested in what that would kind of look like because there's been years where I've done a draft show down at Tim Hortons Field for TSN 1150, and then you know I hang out for a while and I, I drive home and then I grab a beer and I sit down and I open up my computer and it's like we are in round six and I was kind of thinking to myself like, oh is that is that how long it's going to take? So we actually had a plan at CFL.ca with Brody Lawson, myself, Adam Marshall, Kyle Scott, Kelly Shouldice, everybody that works behind the scenes there was. This thing might go until like one in the morning, guys. So right. we gotta have we gotta have some commercials. We gotta have uh, you know we gotta build in some graphics. We gotta have some boards we can throw to to give Marsh and Brody a second to not talk about things on top. So we they did a really good job of planning it out, and then we started the third round, and it was done in like twelve minutes. And wow. we went, we were like, what the hell's going on? Like literally, we went to commercial at the end of the third round and everybody was like are you guys good and adam who was actually in the kind of behind the scenes typing out you know who was making the picks and and who was on the clock and what selections were made and all these different things um he (laughs) i remember he laughed at the end of the third round he goes i've never typed faster because i like i'm literally hearing who the guys are seeing the draft uh, tracker uh and then throwing it up there for everybody to be able to see on cfl.ca so from behind the scenes aspect, it was uh, it was a scramble for sure, which I have great respect for the way they handled it. Um, for us, it was just kind of a whirlwind the whole night. Like I, I anticipated being on air for six, seven hours, and it ended up being somewhere in the neighborhood of like five-ish. And honestly, the first three hours just blew by because the first two rounds and the pre-draft show that we did on radio were pretty pretty interesting because there were so many possibilities for the first couple of rounds. Is that uh, the way it always goes? Is, is that sort of uh, yeah. because of the TV broadcast that the first and second round take a while and then the rest just go by like nothing? Yeah, and the thing is, usually the television side on a normal year, they will flip uh, as soon as they reach the end of the second round or when they reach you know two hours into the draft. Um, they'll flip over and they will become the online stream, but they didn't do the online stream this year. So I actually have absolutely no clue, and I would love to find out yeah. why round three through eight did go so fast is it just because 
everybody was working remotely, so the teams didn't really feel the need uh, to, you know, take their time and bet things and see if there was trade calls. It was like, okay, did the team before us take the guy that we wanted? No? Okay, take the guy that we wanted. All right, next team up. Did they take the team we wanted? No? Okay, take the guy we wanted. It just seemed like it was very, very straightforward and routine for everybody that was involved. So uh, I don't know if that <laughs> if that was a positive or a negative. I think it honestly it helped people stay tuned in once they got into the deep rounds. Because let's be real, like unless you love U Sports football or you've been following the draft process, you probably don't know much, if or anything, about you know a, a defensive back from Guelph when you're living out in Calgary or something like that. And you love your Stampeders and you want to know who your team's getting, but you don't necessarily know all these kids, which I'd love to change if U Sports could get on television. But I do think that once we got into the later rounds, the fact that it was rapid fire, I think allowed people to stay kind of locked in. But I have no clue why it went so quickly. But it, it worked for one night only. <laughs> there was only four offensive linemen selected in the first 20 picks uh, this year. Lowest total in a decade. What does that say about the rest of the Canadian talent that we had this year in the draft? I think that, yeah, it's, it's an interesting conversation because last year we had 20 defensive linemen who were drafted. And I remember kind of saying after the draft and thinking to myself that it was it was strange how many defensive linemen that we had taken in that draft and I didn't know whether or not it would happen again or if it was a trend or if it was a one-off and the thing that I kind of am starting to come around on including the results of this year's draft is that it's not necessarily an indictment on any one position that they're better or worse or I just think the draft is evolving and I think a big part of the draft evolving right now is the idea that you've got really, really athletic kids coming out from every single corner of the country. And depending on where they want to go to school and what position they want to play, you might end up having a defensive lineman who previously, uh, you know, if if we're not using the same national rules that we now have, um, you're seeing somebody come to to the top of the draft and you're not really sure what they're about, where they're from. But now, You've got kids getting taken from every school, from every corner of North America, and that means that the defensive line, if you're big and athletic and you happen to have national status, you're draftable. And if you are, that means that you are going to be taken in the draft because teams want that and need that. So I'm starting to wonder whether or not, you know, the old school of, well, just take a bunch of the U Sports blockers or take the one kid that's playing in Division Two down in the States that's a national, that might be evolving and kind of being phased out to the point where what we're really looking at is, let's go ahead and find the most athletic kids that we possibly can. And maybe D-line becomes the new O-line and maybe pass rushers become the focus moving forward in the CFL draft. That was kind of my takeaway from not just this year, but also last year and seeing the way that pass rushers are becoming what feels like a priority. And offensive linemen, obviously, they're they're a priority in different years. The the quality and the depth of that offensive line group has changed by the D-line group, to me, over the last few years has been really, really impressive, and they've become kind of the topic of conversation. So we'll see going into next year whether or not that stays the trend. And kind of sticking with the offensive line, uh, you know, Ottawa doesn't take an offensive lineman in the first round, which is basically unheard of. Uh, and then in the eighth round, they take uh, six foot seven Catalase, who was projected to go in the first 10 or 12 picks, but drops down the eighth round do we know what happened there no i haven't heard anything yet i texted one of my friends the other day that works uh for a team and and uh, yeah i haven't heard back from him yet so uh he probably just turned off his phone after all the stress of scouting and getting ready for the draft for a couple of months and decided to go to bermuda or something but uh but but i I mean i wouldn't we all but yeah uh, i do think that yeah uh, 
the way that that he fell through the draft was, I mean, it was obviously the most shocking thing that happened in this year's draft. And uh, I say shocking because I had him fourth overall. I hadn't heard any rumblings. Mm-hmm. I didn't think there were any issues. Uh, and then all of a sudden he goes past four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, and you get into a point where it just doesn't make any sense. Uh, and at that point I realized, okay, this is something that I didn't know about, nobody knew about, and it's if it were an NFL situation, then which I don't want to make any assumptions, but I would I would guess that if it was an NFL situation that you're in where, okay, that guy has an opportunity to go play in the National Football League, then that player would fall to the 20s or the 30s, right? Like what we saw with some of the guys the last couple of years who have a shot, whether they have an NFL contract now or there's rumblings that they might have an NFL contract but to fall all the way down into like the 60s, I believe it was, where I say ended up going there, um, that suggests to me that there was something else at play that everybody was very quiet about. And I would love to find out what the reasoning for that was because when you look at the measurables and you look at the game tape, I mean, it's obvious. That guy deserves to be a first-round draft pick, and everybody felt that, and everybody knew that going in, and then it didn't come to fruition. So that'll be an interesting one when it does come out. Is there any other players that could present a draft value that's going to be as good as that if he does pan out like everybody kind of thinks he will? Yeah, I think the obviously the Neville Gallimore one is is obvious mm. because everybody understands the, the talent that he has. But I think some of the underrated ones that happened in the back of this draft, uh, one was uh, Brock Gowanlock, who's from Manitoba. I really liked his game when I saw him at the East-West Bowl last year, and that's, that was only one game, and I didn't have a chance to watch a ton of actual game tape on him this year at Manitoba, unfortunately. I'd love to tell you guys I watched every game of every player 17 times over, but uh, when I when I end up going through, I really focus on the guys that I feel like I don't understand, and I felt like from watching him at the East-West Bowl that I had a pretty good idea of the type of player that he was. I felt pretty comfortable that he was going to get drafted. I wasn't sure how early, how late, but it did seem like that was somebody that, that is probably going to be relatively effective. I kind of love that he went to Montreal late, too, because he just kind of reminds me, if you were to put the eye paint on, of a Gabriel Napton, who right. uh, was just kind of like crazy flying off the edge. And I always felt like Napton was super underrated in that rotation that they had in Montreal over the last five years when he was there. But um, for him to kind of slide and slide and slide and get picked up, to me, that kind of felt like a DJ Lalama type pick where, yeah, okay, whatever, this guy play, you know plays hard and we'll see. And then makes his way onto special teams. He's probably going to end up with 10, 15 plus special teams tackles this year if we get going with a full season. And then uh, from that point forward, you'd have to think that Brock Allenlock, if he rolls in as a rotational defensive end behind Nate Anderson there or Bo Banner in Montreal, he can make a name for himself, whether it's preseason, if they get any looks in a preseason, or if it's a shortened preseason, maybe he has to wait until 2021 to really show his true stripes. But, uh, but yeah, I like that pick. I thought that was a fun one. Then the only other one, uh, that I would throw out there that I kind of enjoyed just because it it felt like it was a little bit different and maybe a little bit off the board as well was uh, looking towards that back end in the seventh round, Colton Claussen, who is the running back out of Saskatchewan, who again is a Montreal pick. Like I think that they did a, a really good job of being able to get some value there at the back end. But um, for me, Colton Claussen, I, I like uh, the way that he's a running back slot back kind of hybrid. I thought that La Police might have wanted him as kind of a a, a multi-skilled toy to throw into their offense, but he had a lot of carries uh, a couple years ago for Saskatchewan, and then kind of converted into a into a, a halfback, slot back, and he was really, really good. And he showed his hands off at East West Bowl last year when I saw him as well. A little bit undersized, but 
I was just kind of happy to see him get picked and feels like somebody who could be pretty productive in the CFL, given the opportunity, which, as we know, is the key with every single one of these guys. Because if they don't get the chance, then all of this is for nothing. I guess uh, we mentioned Montreal twice there. They had 10 picks in this one. How did uh, you like Machocha's first draft back? No, the best thing I had heard uh, was after the draft, somebody that was on the call with the league told me that after Machocha made one of his picks, and it was either the second or the third round, I forget, but apparently he forgot to unmute himself. Oh, and So, so Machocha <laughs> made the pick, and then they went, okay, thank you, Montreal. And before they could move on to the next one, they heard coming from the Montreal phone line, Danny go, yeah. <laughs> like, he just like kind of fist pumped under his breath, and they're yeah. like, uh, "Montreal, your line is still open." And then, oh, sorry, and they turned it off. But, uh, S- such a boomer like, move. Yeah, he was, but he was just <laughs> apparently a joy to have oh, on nice. the call. Like his his excitement was um, genuine. I I really like what Montreal did too. I think that they were smart with the way that they approached things. Like Danny said, when he came into the league, they didn't have much draft capital, right? Because Cave has kind of left that a little bit empty. But to not have a first round pick and still come away with uh, a really, really talented, natural defensive lineman in Cam Watson, a futures pick, mm-hmm. also a bit of a culture pick, I think, there from Montreal to be able to get Marc-Antoine Decois at 14. 14 is a pretty good value for a guy that's got an NFL contract that you think is likely coming back. Um, Carter O'Donnell, obviously, another future, but yeah. if you get Decois and you get O'Donnell out of the same draft, then I would argue you probably won the draft. So um, that's smart of them to take them. And then the other side of that was they go ahead and get, like, you know, Jersey Henry, a linebacker at a Concordia, and then also end up being able to have uh, Brian Harlemana, who is another linebacker, Montreal. And I just felt like they stocked up on defense. They stocked up on RCQ talent. Uh, they followed what Machocha told everybody he was going to do. They were able to dip their toes outside of Quebec to go get arguably the best player in the draft in O'Donnell if he comes to the, to the side of the, of the, uh, the 49th. So I, I think... Overall, Montreal, their game plan going in based on what they had in hand for assets must have been to accrue the French talent and then dip their toes outside and find the best player available. And it certainly seems like they got really good value everywhere that they went with that. Most years, there seems to be a pick or two that leaves some people scratching their heads only because it was a guy that wasn't on any draft boards, no mock drafts or anything like that. Were there any players like that this year? Oh, yeah, for sure. And I think the interesting part of this year's draft, more so than the last three or four that I've covered for CFL.ca, was um, that usually you will end up having a, a lot of consensus across the board as to what people think on players. But some of that, and it's not always, but some of that comes from sitting down across from somebody and uh, being able to kind of talk about what you think of that player at a dinner or maybe in an airport or because these scouts and GMs, they all know each other. They've all worked for each other at one point or another. Or they know a guy who worked for that guy, and it's, they're all relatively friendly unless there's some kind of like traumatic event that's you know, split them and they don't even look at each other when they're on the same practice field. But for me, those guys talk a lot, and I think this year, because there wasn't the ability to see that face-to-face interaction and talk, um, that there was a lot of players that everybody had different opinions on, and that resulted in... Um, names sliding up the draft board that I didn't really anticipate. Mm. So I would say for me, like Ottawa's territorial selection, um, I didn't anticipate the linebacker at Laval. And again, his name just kills me. But Dan Bossom Bombo, uh, I didn't name. think that he was going to go in that mm. spot because I thought that they were going to go a different direction with their territorial pick. I thought Graydon Campbell was a name that I kind of circled from St. Mary's as a defensive lineman. And I thought that might fit positionally and also being a native of Stittsville just inside Ottawa. But 
Uh, he ended up not getting drafted at all, so I don't know if he was eligible or if there was a last-second change there. Uh, and I also think that when I was looking kind of down through and seeing where certain names were going, uh, Malik Tyne, I don't know if that's just because people believe in NCAA pedigree or what, but Edmonton took him 24th overall, linebacker from Towson. And I watched a decent amount of his stuff because I wanted to get to know him better. I just didn't like his game very much. And again, like I hate to bang on guys because I don't do that very much, but he was just really hoppy and all over the place and sporadic. And I was talking to somebody before the draft about him and they said, wow, you, you look like you have him really low in your mock draft. And I was like, yeah, like here's the reasoning why. And they said, yeah, that's all fair. Also, very, very athletic and very, very raw. And they said if he kind of opens up his mm-hmm. hips and can run and can move and can rush and you teach him some skills, and then they always try to find the upside, right? And I think that's an important part of this is everybody's trying to figure out where's the player going to go, what's their value, and what's their value to you. Because there's a difference between – uh, you know, evaluation, which is how good is somebody, and valuation, which is how much do they mean to me and what can I actually turn them into. And all these coaches think that they're better than every other coach and they can change that player more than anybody else can because they've got that skill set. But um, I thought that that one, Militan going 24th, I mean, there's a lot of good players that came off the board after 24th overall, from Tyler Ternowski to Dylan Giffen to now Kane Schaefer-Baker to, I mean, I can keep going and there's lots and lots and lots of names that are within the last, you know, 15 picks after that. And it felt like that one to me, it might have been a bit of just based on the pedigree of uh, of the school and the, and the level that he was playing at rather than the player himself, which uh, I'm sure Edmonton feels very differently. I'm sure that they like the, the player that they got and they feel like they can turn him into something. But um, that's kind of, it was one that jumped out to me where I wondered, oh, okay, I don't really love that spot that high for that player. But that seemed like the consensus across a lot of people in the CFL. But hey. Maybe they see stuff that I don't, which would be totally understandable because they do it for a living. Yeah, uh, I kind of want to <laughs> give some love to kickers right now. Last year, none got drafted. For this year, what happened there? Yeah, it was a weird, weird year for draft uh, drafting kickers because, like, I remember a couple years ago, it was like Felix Menard Briere to Montreal was the only one, and uh, it felt like he was kind of on an island. And I, there's been years where you know Quinn Van Gelswick. At a UBC was the yeah. only one, or Tyler Carpini is the only one. And then when I started going through the draft-eligible list and kind of taking count of some of the names that were getting buzzed, there were four drafted, but I think there were like six or seven draftable kickers in this year's draft, which is really, really strange. But again, these things kind of ebb and flow, and, and depending on exactly what corner of the roster you're looking to strengthen, you can either hit a year where you have tons of options. Like for Calgary, they obviously wanted to go and get somebody – to replace Rob Maver in that spot, and it was a great year for them to yeah. be in that position. Now, there's, I'm sure, going to be another team in two years that is going to need a kicker, maybe even Calgary again when Rennie Paradis is all done, and there's no kickers. So uh, I think this year was just uh, a matter of circumstance. They ended up being able to have a lot of guys available, but um, there was a lot of specialty kickers this year, too, when you think about it. Like, J.J. Molson, despite the fact that he didn't end up having the greatest field goal kicking percentage, got a powerful leg and i thought that was interesting as a place kicker dante brown's a d2 uh punter that ends up coming out of fort hayes state as the first player ever drafted from that school and he's got an opportunity because he's an elite punter but what is he as a place kicker well not 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 that great like not that well known so i thought it was interesting that the really the only one all well-rounded kicker was the one that went first out of the group which is mark leggio at 39 because you can do everything and he goes to, to winnipeg and I, I had somebody text me after the draft that I, they said, what do you think of Legio going there? And I was like, well, 
I mean, I don't know. I thought the Ticats would prioritize him. I thought he'd probably go a little bit higher because he was probably the best overall kicker in this draft and whatnot. And the person said, what, what happens if Medlock doesn't end up showing up because it's not worth the amount of money for him to come up and play eight games if the season gets going on Labor Day or something like that? And I'm like, well, then the pick makes sense. Like, like have yeah. somebody in-house like that that can take care of all three duties for you on short notice that has played in big-time games and has big-time kicking experience. So... Um, it was an interesting one for the kickers. I'm not sure we'll see a year like that again in like the next five because it was just such an anomaly. Yeah, that that Lego pick pissed off everybody I was watching the draft with <laughs> on on house party because they were all Ty Cats fans and they were like, "What the hell just happened?" Because for the last round before that, it was like, "Take a kicker, take a kicker, take a kicker," and they didn't. <laughs> They went five different positions, too, in Hamilton. For them to go five yeah. different in their first five picks and not have a kicker, like they could have gone kicker at any point in those first five, and I think people would have kind of nodded their head and been like, okay, sure, but I don't know if that shows yeah. that the Ticats think that Liram is going to come back from his stint with the Rams or what, what that means, but you can usually read between the lines a little bit on the urgency with which they try to draft to replace an elite player like that, and it didn't seem like mm-hmm. they were all that urgent about it. So I, we'll wait and see, I guess, on that one. Uh, uh, we'll go to the other side of that rivalry, I guess, because Toronto had four picks inside the top 20, and they did take some local guys to try and... Uh, uh, maybe that's a different approach that they are taking. How did you like Toronto's draft? And Are you seeing more teams try to take that local approach? Yeah, it just makes more sense, really, because you end up losing so many guys to go home in free agency, and contract lengths are so short in the CFL that I think that's it helps me certainly when I'm doing mock drafts because I don't look like a complete idiot all the time when I'm picking for people to just go close to home or close-ish to home. But um, when I I kind of break it down of what Toronto did, I think they get like a an A minus B plus kind of grade. I thought it was really really smooth because. Um, they end up getting, I think, really good value for Dylan Giffen at 20th overall, the biggest lineman in the draft. Mm-hmm. His uh, size can be a bit of a detriment to him at times because he has difficulty really moving all that well. But I think that for somebody that you believe, you believe is a, a developmental offensive lineman, 28th is a pretty solid spot to be able to get them, especially with the pedigree that he has. So, um, But I loved, I loved what the Argonauts did because Dijon Brissett, if – you don't end up getting T.J. Jones, then boom, there is your top-end speed national receiver to go with, Bress Kaysen and uh, Levi Noel and Atea Jay. Like they, they built a nice group there, especially in this draft. Dion Pellerin's going to be a good running back, fullback, kind of hybrid crossover that will learn a lot, I think, from Declan Cross, who's already established there with the Argonauts. Uh, Theron Churchill, they just wanted a big bully, again, that probably moves a little bit better than uh, than Dylan Giffen does, but you get two offensive linemen. You get a great tackling machine in Jack Kassar, who's going to replace uh, Herman Reed, who ended up coming over from the Argonauts to the Ticats in free agency. So, again, you can kind of read into it afterwards and see what their priority was, what their positional need was, and who they believed was the best player to, to take care of that. Um, I thought the pick of Kassar up there at number 11 was really interesting because I thought he'd be available somewhere middle of the second, late second, and they had like all sorts of different options when it came to where and when they wanted to draft people, but they prioritized him enough to go with their third pick in the draft, albeit that third pick was already 11th overall, and they'd already taken an offensive lineman and a receiver. But um, that, to me, said a lot about how strongly they felt about wanting to get him. And also, I'd say on special teams, now the Argonauts picked up Nick Shortle out of Hamilton, and Shortle's a monster on specials. If they get him alongside Declan Cross, alongside Levi Noel, alongside, yeah. uh, you know, you know all those mm-hmm. guys, and you end up getting a tackling machine like that, all of a sudden you're looking at a national unit, a core on your special teams that 
is about as scary as any in the league, I think, at this point. So um, I think that that's, that was probably in mind when they did it. And it also played into Nakasan Yeka reportedly getting released as well. So I don't know if that was injury-related or what, but they, they sought out Jack Kassar with that 11th pick, and they got him, and that says a lot to me. Who in the West had your highest draft ranking, so to speak? Um, you know, I liked what Saskatchewan did because they went local, and I think that was the smart mm-hmm. thing to do. Winnipeg with Noah Hallett, I think, is a home run pick right there at free safety. After yeah. that, um, Winnipeg was a bit all over the place, again, from getting linebacker depth to getting a receiver that is a little bit of an unknown in Brendan O'Leary-Orange because the concussion he had a couple years ago, or you know, Nicholas Deli, who is a defensive lineman from Saskatchewan, who I think is going to end up uh, being able to rush the passer off the edge, but does he have the body type to do it right away is debatable. So uh, I think at the end of this, I just I think Calgary came out the best, honestly, which feels like we could say that every time. But, yeah, it's, it's kind of like what Calgary does. I think Travel Pinto at 12th overall is higher than some people thought, but Huffman not wrong very often when it comes to picking receivers, especially early nope. on. So I, I think what he did there was, believe in what he saw and believe in the person and Travel Pinto goes, you back it up with Rice and John. If they end up getting both of those guys to go with Turgeon Mayala in the next little while here, then like that's again, it's you start playing yeah. kind of that fantasy football game in your mind of, of the units that have been put together. Um, that's a really, really damn good group. And then the, the real reason that I love what they did is they needed a kicker punter. They go and get Kieran Burnham out of St. FX. Um, they wanted an elite pass rusher. They trade back and get Isaac out of Yemi Berglund. They end up getting the defensive player of the year in the Quebec conference out of McGill, Andrew Sennett Spalding, at 52nd, which is a crazy value. That feels like the Fraser Sopic selection from last year where it's like, this person's amazing mm-hmm. at playing football, but nobody cares. Oh, look, Calgary got him in like the 30s, 40s, or 50s because that seems to be what they do. So um, when you factor in that they got like a top-end talent at third overall, they got great value on a pass rusher at 52nd. They uh, you know took care of a need at kicker-punter. They got a big, strong, angry center that's a natural center that's not a guard that you're going to try to turn into a center in Jonathan Zamora. You get yep. two big-body receivers there in Pinto and Rice and John. Um, when you add all that together, like I thought BC had a pretty good draft as well and, and accomplished some things they needed to, but Calgary seems like they, they were the smartest at it again this year. It, I know there are players that you're a fan of, you can't use Mason Bennett for this question because we all saw the video of your reaction when he got drafted. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and they may not be big stars right off the bat, but who are some of those guys that we, we're going to need to watch for in this draft who you know aren't exactly going to be instant impacts, but over time they're going to become uh, big names? Yeah, I wonder what Coulter Woodvance is going to become with the Ticats. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you think about it, they've got Chris Van Zylen House. They could foreseeably, if they wanted... Now they could bump him to left tackle. They could move in Jesse Given in his second year to right tackle, but that's a risky proposition. Brandon Revenberg could probably go to tackle, even though he looks like just the bet, one of the best guards in the league. But if you've got that, Darius Sirocco at right guard, who they drafted not too long ago, Mike Filer, and probably what's his final season at center. Uh, and then you end up having a sixth offensive lineman there of Coulter Woodman. See, I'm like, okay, does he have the size to play tackle? Sure, but he was primarily a guard when he was at Guelph, and he was really great at playing guard. I think that he might end up kind of being below the radar, and, and even though he was taken fifth overall, because the Ticats are so deep in offensive line, I haven't even mm-hmm. mentioned, like, you know, Kay Okafor and the people they've had in development for the last couple of years. 
if they end up having that and they don't need to play him right away, he might not really get action until Filer retires or two, three years down the road when a spot opens up on the starting line. And at that point, if he's in like his third year and the club's picked up his third-year option, um, and then maybe he becomes a player that all of a sudden everybody's like, wow, I, like where's this guy been? It's like, well, they drafted him fifth overall, and they just kind of waited him out and, and were waiting to try and get the right opportunity for him. But um, I would say outside of that, I'm really intrigued to see what Elaine Pace uh, kind of looks like from Ottawa that went to Edmonton at 13th overall because I think that shocked a lot of people. I was very mm-hmm. thankful I had done my research on him before uh, he got announced as that pick because otherwise I would have been so lost trying to figure out the footsteps on coming from the Czech Republic and dad working in Ottawa for 15 years wow. and playing one one year of football in 2017, being named to the OUA All-Rookie Team and then disappearing. And then, like, I, I literally got sent uh, a video by his agent uh, two days before the draft that was, hey, here is Elaine working out in a gym. And I'm like, cool. I worked out yesterday, too. I didn't take a video of it and send it to CFL. <laughs> like, I, 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 I was, yeah, I was like, I don't know where to find... <laughs> information about this guy or film so i ended up kind of going back and looking at some stuff from 2017 and i'm like oh god mm-hmm. i'm like he's good i'm like this is legit uh i probably yep. should have known about him significantly earlier but he was a late add to the draft so that one might be under the radar that people need to watch especially in edmonton the tough thing is there in edmonton though they drafted defensive lineman at 13th they've got kwaku boateng and they've got matthew betts like how is Aline going to get on the field, I think, is the challenge that they're going to have for anybody to actually know who he really is. But um, Mm -hmm. outside of that, people that you should probably know, I'd say Bailey Feltmate was amazing. I called uh, on CBC Online the national semifinal when Acadia got obliterated by Montreal, but I was so impressed by him. Uh, Bailey Feltmate, the linebacker from Acadia, because they're down you know, 35-0, 38-0 to Montreal in the fourth quarter, and he's still hitting, and he's still running, and he's still showing effort. And I think he knew he was throwing down coaching tape regardless of how that national semifinal went that would be sent out to scouts. And uh, I think that that's a player that over time people, not just in Hamilton where he got drafted, but across the league will come to appreciate, okay, this guy came from very, very humble beginnings and battled his way through helped Acadia be very successful at the back end of his U-sports career, and I think he's going to turn it into a really effective CFL career. Well, Marsh, thanks for sharing your draft expertise with us. i got to ask, now that the draft is over, training camp suspended indefinitely, what are you going to fill your time with? What do we have to look forward to read and listen to? Yeah, I'm I'm uh, drawing a blank as much as I think some of the CFL right. shows are. I had I had Drew Alamang on my radio show in Hamilton this week, and I said, "So what the hell are you doing this week?" Because usually you end up, you know, going to the East West Bowl. And uh, he said, "Yeah, I don't know. I kind of gotta like go home and figure out what to do." But uh, I am very fortunate because my beautiful fiance and I are due in September, uh, so we are uh. having a, a little one, and I think that's going to take up. A lot of our summer, as much as I'd love to have that sweet, sweet CFL money to be able to uh, to pay for all of the baby things, uh, it's going to be an interesting summer with my firstborn on the way. So I think I'm going to focus on getting the house as daddy-proof as possible for in case the season kicks off on Labor Day and all of a sudden we got an extra one in the house and all sorts of me <laughs> running around to cover the league. But uh, in the meantime, I'm hoping that CFL.ca will keep having me write and break down things and give some analysis, and if there's any game re-airs that happen on TSN, I'd love to be a part of those, whether it be you know TV, online, radio, otherwise, kind of adding in little tidbits and facts and info and things that I have because uh, I've got every game tracked from basically the last three years to be able to kind of 
add a little bit of insight to if people are interested in that type of stuff. So anything's on the table, but yeah, I think it's like everybody right now. It's a little bit of family time and taking a little bit uh, slower roll than we typically do on our average day. All right. Well, congratulations and good luck with the new edition and stay healthy out in Hamilton. Absolutely. Thanks, boys. Appreciate you. Thank you to Marshall Ferguson of CFL.ca and TSN 1150 in Hamilton helping us uh, understand or get to know some of these Canadian players a little bit more. I got to say, Ty, J.J. Molson to the Ticats, I know that might not be the kicker that they wanted, but that's got to have potential to be the highest selling kicker jersey of all time. I got to assume Louie is uh, number one, but... Molson, how do you beat that on the back of a jersey? <laughs> I could think of 10 beers that are better than Molson. Oh, I, I Canadian, knew you were going to say that. Because <laughs> like, I, I really love drinking beer that tastes like a loaf of stale bread. <laughs> but uh, having been to Hamilton, uh, yeah, I could see that being very high on the list for jersey sales. People think I drink a lot. <laughs> Really? Like, <laughs> Hamilton's got you beat? Uh, oh, I don't. I Let's just say I fit in very well. Okay. <laughs> They're your people. <laughs> <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. What do you know? I can say that. <laughs> no, that, that's just an insult to me. Oh. <laughs> well, there you I'm go. I'm going to get in so much. Hamilton's going to have the pitchforks. <laughs> On your doorstep in, uh, no. I don't know. Yeah, in about a week. Yeah, how long does it take to drive? <laughs> All right. Uh, we are a part of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. And with Pod Power, ATB is making it possible for us to amplify the voices of Albertans and Alberta podcasters. This episode, we're giving a Pod Power shout out to Your Forest. It's a podcast about the natural world. Hear stories about the environment, renewable resources, conservation, forestry, hunting, fishing, and more. This is a podcast for those who cannot live without the joys and wonders of all wild things. Like me, find your forest wherever you get your podcasts at yourforestpodcast.com. That's yourforestpodcast.com. There's another episode in the tank, Ty. We should be ready to be talking about uh, training camp in about a week and a half. That's not the case. But we will be back May 14th with another episode of Two and Out. Stay healthy wherever you are. Rate, review, and subscribe on your favorite podcatcher. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks for listening. Find more great shows like this at CF Pod Network on Twitter.